all the podcast listeners out there, call your moms. Yes. <laughs> call your mom. Tell them that you tell them that you love them. And maybe your grandma and grandpa too. Yeah. Or your cat. I tell my cat I love him every day. <laughs> and he te- and he tells me that he he loves me oh. by giving me hu- little hugs. He's so cute. <laughs> He's so cute. Mimi's really vocal, huh? She I think like the mic is like over here cuz I use the app on my laptop uh-huh. to talk. And I she jumped right here and she goes <laughs> right there. <laughs> One podcast. I'm Lauren Del Cello, managing editor for Water Quality Products. I'm Katie Johns, managing editor of Stormwater Solutions. And I'm Bob Crossan, senior managing editor for Water and Waste Digest. In this month's episode of Talking Underwater, we'll dig into a subject that's on everyone's mind this month the coronavirus, also known as COVID 19. We'll explore the pandemic's impact on the water industry and daily life. Finally, our interview this month is with Kathleen Burbage. Global and Regulatory Affairs Manager for the Water Quality Association. I talked with Kathleen about the WQA's recent DC fly-in, collaboration with other water industry associations, and this year's hot legislative issues. So now, let's dive into our discussion on the coronavirus. All right, so first things first, let's talk about what this even is. So coronaviruses are a large family of viruses that can cause illnesses ranging from the common cold to severe diseases a lot of them are upper respiratory as well Um, common ones that you're already probably familiar with are the middle east respiratory syndrome and the severe acute respiratory syndrome mers and sars uh, respectively Um, so this one is a novel coronavirus in the sense that it has not been previously identified in humans so there's a lot that is unknown about this virus. Um, But obviously with the entire global um, health community looking at this, I'm sure that we will learn a lot about this really, really quickly. So one of the big things with this coronavirus is how does this impact water and wastewater treatment? Um, How is it spread and whatnot? It is spread mostly through direct contact, close contact, person to person, Um, through saliva and um, other bodily fluids. So make sure that you're, I'm sure that all of you are far, far aware to wash your hands, sneeze and cough into your elbow, do everything you can to not uh, endanger your people who are closest to you. So the real question now is water and wastewater, how does it fit into that? What does it mean? The upside of all this is that essentially all municipal water and wastewater facilities are set up to already deal with this due to the treatment processes that are currently in place. They don't have to change much of anything to make sure that it functions properly and that it's taken care of. What the real the real concern is more uh, on the employee level of those facilities and staffing and whatnot. So um, I'll move to Lauren. You can talk a little bit about some prevention. Absolutely, yeah. Thanks for giving us a little like primer there on 
what's what, Bob. So standard recommendations for preventing the spread of the infection, as you kind of stated a little bit, is regular hand washing, cover your mouth and nose when sneezing and coughing, and thoroughly cooking meat and eggs. People should also avoid close contact with anybody who's showing any symptoms, which include respiratory illnesses, coughing, sneezing, fever. Um, the EPA has issued some guidance for coronavirus and drinking water, which states that Americans can continue to use tap water, and EPA also said current evidence shows the risk to water supply is low as the virus has not been detected in drinking water supplies, though I think Bob might have some insight on how that plays a role in the wastewater sphere as well, mm-hmm. with public questions surrounding, is my water safe, mm-hmm. is my drinking water safe, is my wastewater safe? Yeah. Well, primarily with wastewater, their viruses are common in the wastewater treatment process. It's common to find viruses in the wastewater itself. That's always a, they're always just present. It's part of the, right. just part of the deal. Um, so I think that essentially what, from what I understand from talking to people so far is that maintaining good hygiene practices and maintaining the practices that they already do is enough to ensure that things are okay. The The real risk more is for a, an operator or technician or something to come in contact with the virus it through in the treatment process at some point and not follow proper um, like washing procedure and whatnot. Um, so really it just comes down to like make sure that all the safety and protocols that you normally follow are being followed essentially. Right, like the point comes down to this is not a waterborne illness mm-hmm. that we know of. It's transmitted through respiratory factors, um, which definitely plays right. a big role in the workforce and um, how we interact with our peers and our coworkers. Mm-hmm. Um, Katie, did you want to talk a little bit about some of the wider impacts this has had on the water industry thus far, you know, as time of recording, this March 13th? Yes. So. Because of coronavirus, uh, numerous industry events have been canceled or postponed. Um, Some big ones are the Water Quality Association Convention and the West Stormwater Symposium have been canceled, and the AWWA AMTA Membrane Technology Conference and EFOT have both been postponed. Um, A lot of other regional shows throughout the country have been canceled as well, and we have a uh, a running list of those. Um, and you can visit WWDMAG for the list to, to check that out. We'll be updating that as we get more information as well. Yeah, so it, also if you're listening to this and you're aware of an event that isn't on that list, please send an email to talkingunderwater at sgcmail.com with the event as well as a link to con- for confirmation of that event cancellation, and we'll be, be sure to add it to that list. So, And moving forward also as... A lot of the workforce may be potentially moving into uh, self-quarantine or quarantine measures. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's definitely important to note and remember that there's a lot of folks out there who cannot do that and need to show up to work mm-hmm. unless, of course, you're exhibiting illnesses and please stay home and we thank you for your help. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the things I've seen in the Facebook groups is a lot of these operators who are working at these plants yeah. every day, they're considered essential personnel, so they'll be coming in and working um, regardless. I imagine that there are certain 
protocols in place for someone who ha- is exhibiting symptoms or has tested positive that they would most certainly not come into, <laughs> come into the workplace for fear of infecting other employees. Right. So um, one of the things I heard today is just the importance. There's two critical uh, things that are being lost during, or one critical thing that's being lost and one critical thing that's being really helpful right now. The helpful thing is SCADA systems that have remote monitoring capability that can be monitored, changed, and maintained from the from a home. So um, for systems that do have access to remote monitoring and whatnot, this is a great opportunity to take advantage of that while still maintaining the, the site and not uh, needing to come into contact with mm. other human beings and possibly spreading things or catching it. Um, and then the other thing that's really important to note is with all of these event cancellations, continuing educa- education credits and units are hard to harder to come by. A lot of these operators really depend on these local events to get their continuing education to maintain their certification and licenses and whatnot. So um, that's an area that I don't have a lot of information yet on how that's being addressed, but I'm sure that there will be ways that a lot of like New England America, uh, American Water Works Association uh, Spring Conference, the Illinois uh, WaterCon, I'm sure that those events like those are looking for ways that they can get those continuing education credits out to their respective communities. Mm -hmm. So that's something to also consider. And uh, from the dealer perspective, I actually had a call a couple weeks ago with a water treatment dealer who was telling me they'd love more educational information about how do you do, how do you navigate the remote workforce in water treatment dealerships? Mm -hmm. How do you plan contingency plans for in case someone suddenly unexpectedly comes ill and he asked me those questions actually before the coronavirus hysteria i'm going to call it really kicked Mm -hmm. in Um, but very very important questions for uh, across the water industry and the water sectors how do we navigate that potential shift in the workforce and Mm -hmm. how do we prepare for anything yeah there was a great article that I saw um, earlier today on LinkedIn about how because every all this whole everyone work for, from home if you have the capability to do that is really pushing the workforce future forward, right? Yeah. It's changing sure. like by instituting and forcing communities and businesses to make people work from home it's opening up doors for working Mm -hmm. from home that maybe had been closed before. So I thought that was an interesting interesting take for sure on the whole issue. Right. Um, Okay, let's pivot a little bit into our interview for this month. The uh, subject of this month's interview is uh, regulations and legislation. It's with Kathleen Burbridge, who is the Global and Regulatory Affairs Manager for the Water Quality Association. WQA hosted the DC Fly-In and Water Resources Congressional Summit earlier this month, and I had the pleasure of attending. So following the event, I talked to Kathleen about the Fly-In and this year's hot legislative issues, as well as what the future may hold for water regulations. So here's that interview. Welcome to the podcast, Kathleen Burbage, Global and Regulatory Affairs Manager for the Water Quality Association. Thanks for joining me today, Kathleen. Thank you. 
So Kathleen and I have actually known each other for a few years. She's a regular contributing author to WQP, and she's also provided some great insights for articles that I wrote in the past. And we're also we're also both involved in the WQA Women in Industry Group, which we could absolutely do a whole separate podcast episode on. Uh, but the March episode for this month of the podcast is going to focus on legislation and regulation. So this chat today is incredibly timely, considering we're just in D.C. last week. And I was thinking I want to talk a little bit about you, and then we can get to the WQA DC Fly-In and Water Resources Congressional Summit, and then open the conversation up some to dig into some other issues in the water industry. Um, So first, let's just kind of dive into your background a little bit. We talked about your water journey some last week, and it's pretty phenomenal. So just my questions for you is why water, and what inspires you about your work? Absolutely. So a lot of that passion uh, drove me to the Water Quality Association, and I was very uh, lucky in receiving that opportunity. I was studying at North Central College, which is uh, located the town over from WQA's headquarters in Chicago, or right outside Chicago. And that's where I was studying for political science and global studies. But I had a minor in environmental science which was really driving my passion towards drinking water specifically. So how amazing that WQA posted an internship um, that they were just looking for um, someone to help out the association with a project. And when I went for the interview, the very first person I sat down with was Polly Undusser, who's Mm -hmm. now our executive director of the association. And Uh, The task for the internship was to create what is now our regulatory database that stores all the regulations and legislation for the United States on WQA's website. So I became very passionate about the issues in the Water Quality Association. I was able to gain a lot of knowledge in a short period of time working on that project. Um, So it, it was a great opportunity. Just what blows my mind about that project is how quickly and immediately you were so immersed in the nitty-gritty nuances of tracking legislation and regulation in water, and that's something you still work on extremely closely now in your current work. Exactly. So for our listeners, can you provide a little bit of background on the WQA DC Fly-In and Water Resources Congressional Summit as we're recording this that took place last week earlier in March. So just a little background for our listeners, please. Absolutely. This is an annual event that WQA hosts. We invite all members to participate. And it's in D.C. The primary objective is to have members meeting with congressional offices on the Hill advocating for the industry. And on the first day is when we hold that congressional summit, where we partner with two other associations, the National Groundwater Association and the Irrigation Association, to really provide that valuable program for everyone that's attending. Um, This year, we had uh, a range of federal agency representatives um, providing briefings and answering any questions from the audience, um, really getting that engagement. And then we always wrap up the day with a congressional staff panel where you can ask them questions on how offices are managed. How do you 
really engage with staff when you go in for a meeting on the Hill. And then we have a reception sort of networking opportunities throughout the day and in the evening. And then on the second day, that's when we get into those uh, congressional office visits. So everyone is assigned to a small team for, through WQA, and they have about five to six meetings throughout the day, meeting with congressional staff or Congress members themselves. And we provide them with talking points, leave behind, um, as well as specific asks during their meetings. And we make sure that everyone's fully prepared before going to D.C. Uh, we host orientation webinars, provide briefing packets, as well as other uh, necessities to help prepare members. So I always like to tell them, please do not be afraid to attend and participate. We will answer anyone's questions, um, prepare you for those meetings. It's, it's not a, a scary meeting, as I know you were able to participate in them this year as well. What were some of the key asks that you, you have worked to prep everyone? What were some of the key asks that were being focused on this year? And, and how does that kind of different from things that we've asked in previous years? Yeah, so like you said, in our experiences every year on the Hill, uh, offices become more and more educated, not only on the industry and the Water Quality Association being a resource for them and their constituents, but also on those general water topics that we are um, helping provide a position and education on. So every year we're getting a more concise ask um, beyond WQA being their general resource whenever water quality legislation comes by their desk. So this year we focused on four different types of provisions that legislators could add um, to any drafted legislation that is dealing with drinking water. So the first one was focusing on general drinking water provisions for public water systems and making sure that when you're looking at treatment upgrades to include a consideration of available technology solutions that um, include point of use and point of entry installations. Mm -hmm. And then when we looked at provisions general to drinking water for private wells on the flip side, we wanted to make sure that that type of legislation was addressing the households or buildings um, served by private wells and include that, again, that consideration for available technology solutions that can be installed uh, to address any of any drinking water concerns using point of use or point of entry treatment devices. Um, the two other specific asks were really to address the hot topics that we are seeing the federal government focus on. Mm -hmm. So the first was on PFAS, and we wanted to make sure that every office understood that our industry is unique and that we are able to use the marketplace and address possibly unregulated contamination uh, with the consumer. So we have standards in place that can certify products for PFOA and PFOS currently. And uh, that's always very shocking to the offices that we're able to provide that need, validate those technologies uh, for emerging contaminants. Uh, so when we're looking at legislation, we want to make sure that there's nationwide surveys to look at the prevalence of PFAS and that there's technical and financial resources, not only on the public water side, but also for private well owners to test and treat 
their wells as well. Mm-hmm. And the last ask that um, I'll go into detail on was on lead in drinking water. This is continuing to be a hot topic as the EPA is now revising the lead and copper rule. And within their proposed revisions, it includes point of use and point of entry as part of that remediation solution. So we wanted to point that out to legislators and make sure that we continue to um, make point of use and point of entry a part of that conversation. So let's talk a little bit about collaboration. We kind of touched on this a little bit earlier, but how has the partnership with the National Groundwater Association, the Irrigation Association, and Water Systems Council was there at the summit too. How long have those relationships been uh, existing and what's kind of some common ground? Absolutely. So we've been partnering with the National Groundwater Association and the Irrigation Association for the past three years, I believe, uh, hosting the Congressional Summit as part of our DC fly-in program. And it's been a great way for our associations to obviously facilitate a larger and engaging event, but we often find common ground when we're going into these offices. So we realize the need for a strategy to make sure that um, we're going in with, again, that same messaging um, and we're not sort of overlapping events where for three weeks, congressional offices are hearing from different water associations. Sure, yeah. It's really ideal to host that summit, make an impression that way. Um, And this year, we also worked with um, the Water Systems Council. They host a fly-in as well, and theirs was just exactly the day after ours. So we invited them to the summit and had them up on a panel with all three government affairs directors to, again, just educate all the participants on who the associations are, what issues have been keeping them up at night, and then their strategies on the Hill, which, again, I know I just talked about our ask, but they held very similar positions. Right, right. Um, I'm chuckling a little bit at your phrase, what issues are keeping them up at night? (laughs) Um, Because they're probably really similar, right? And it's refreshing to see those um, those goals aligning and and while associations have their own individual goals to support their members, all of us in the water industry, we we kind of have to be a team, and it's it's exciting to see that happen. Um, so on those specific issues keeping us up at night, let's just open the conversation up a little bit to dig into some of this year's like hot legislative topics. Obviously, like lead and PFAS are the two big contaminants everybody's talking about right now. Um, wanted to get your thoughts on EPA's PFAS action plan and some of its impacts both to our niche of the industry and you know the water sector as a whole. Definitely. So, uh, very timely conversation to be having yeah. as well as at our client. Uh, so, we had the EPA Assistant Administrator for Water come and speak, David Ross, at the forum, uh, sorry, at the summit. Everyone was able to ask him questions, very open atmosphere. And the EPA really had published in February their update to the EPA PFAS action plan. So we were able to really dig into um, the status of EPA's initiatives around the contaminants. So um, some of the updates that they provided 
were that they created a drinking water method for testing. Um, and as well, they are moving forward with their regulatory determination for PFOE and PFOS. To dig into what that is or what that means, it's really going over that conversation of does the EPA regulate PFOE and PFOS as a contaminant by either instituting a treatment technique that public water systems would need to comply with or a maximum contaminant level. So the stage that the EPA was reporting on in their action plan was that they went through the regulatory determination and have decided that they will move forward with regulating both PFOA and PFOS under that Safe Drinking Water Act. Um, they haven't come out with specific uh, limits in place. What we're looking forward to in the future is them publishing something in the Federal Registrar that will be open for public comments and review. Water Quality Association, as well as other associations that were at the summit, will um, definitely be bringing those back to our members um, and making sure that everyone has a chance to provide comments. Yeah, that's really huge news and something that's probably been pending for quite a while. It was interesting to have Dave Ross at the summit. I felt like everybody really, really openly just picked his brain and asked questions and had a really good conversation there. But this is obviously going to impact um, different sectors of the water industry in, in different ways, both from like a consumer need perspective and also a cost effectiveness perspective. Like um, this is just a little bit of speculation. So just say whatever you're feeling comfortable with, but how do you think this might potentially impact um, your sector of the water industry? Yep, so when the EPA first published their action plan, they made specific reference to the point of use and point of entry technologies industry as a whole because they saw our initiative to find solutions to remediate these contaminants. So in their action plan, right out the gate, they were citing that point of use and point of entry treatment technologies can receive certification for reduction of those contaminants. What I see moving forward is, again, that continuation of the conversation and uh, any sort of consumer uh, resources that the EPA provides, WQA would be looking to support them with information on the industry. Yeah, awesome. Thank you. And that's probably really, really closely and directly tied to these legislative visits, just keeping our information available and top of mind. Um, so that's great to see. Uh, is there any other legislation that you're tracking really closely right now? I know there's been uh, quite a few new developments in lead monitoring recently. Just anything else you're keeping your eye on? So our monitoring bills list is what we typically use for monitoring any new proposed legislation throughout the year. So we see it as a living document. It's on W2A's website. We mm -hmm. try to update it at least monthly for all of our members to um, look at. We divide it by state and we show at what stage the legislation is moving in. Uh, we also provide a section on federal legislation that's proposed as well. And what we're seeing right now is over 150 bills included in the bills list. So, wow. oh my gosh, it's a lot to handle. <laughs> um, yeah, balancing act for sure. Right. Oh, definitely. And we try to break that down by trend. So mm -hmm. when we 
talk with our federal government affairs committee at WQA or our state and uh, regional government affairs committee, we're looking at trends through legislation across the board. And then we also do deep dives into legislation um, that we see might be moving forward in the future. And this year, there's, again, that huge emphasis on lead, specifically targeting schools and testing, yeah. monitoring, as well as remediation. And then on the emerging contaminant side, we're seeing more states step up to create a maximum contaminant level at the state level, because the EPA, like we were just providing an update on, is working through the uh, federal uh, rules as far as creating a federal level maximum contaminant level. I just said level about five times, so I apologize. <laughs> That's okay. Um, the, states, the states are um, proposing, again, their state-level NCLs. Uh, when they're also looking at those emerging contaminants, they're starting to um, look at what else they should be considering. So they're entrusting different agencies to look at what other states have set for um, other contaminants that might not be regulated federally. So an example outside of PFAS would be chromium-6, which is regulated in California. Um, so again, states are engaging in that conversation of how they want to address emerging contaminants that are still working through the process at the federal level. Yeah, that's, that's really important to note when we talk about emerging contaminants that there's there's a whole long list, a whole host to look at. So just a curiosity question for you. I know you've been tracking tracking legislation for several years now. Are you seeing uh, a change in the volume? You said you're tracking some 100, 150, something like that, 150 legislation right now. Have you seen kind of a change in the volume of water-related legislation that you've been monitoring in the past two years? Definitely. So it's, it's been consistently increasing, which I thought originally might um, see a dip sort of after, you know, four years after Flint, Michigan. Yeah. Um, but instead, there's been so much public awareness provided to drinking water that a lot of states are continuing to make sure that they're um, addressing whatever resources they can provide. Uh, for drinking water, whether they're looking at infrastructure, um, education programs, or, or anything else that might fall under that umbrella. Yeah. Um, well, that's really exciting. Thanks, thanks for sharing that. So just wrapping up a little bit, election season has everybody on their toes a bit, I know. So I'm just wondering, from your perspective, do you see a promising year for water legislation and regulations ahead of us? So this is definitely a topic that we brought up during the D.C. fly-in as yeah. well. And so, right, so typically during an election season and in this case a presidential election season, uh, a lot of politicians are going to uh, be focused on re-election. And so our main strategy has been focused on continuing that drumbeat of our industry mission um, as well as our ask but really looking towards 2021 and post-election to see more activities. 
Okay, awesome. Thank you. That's good to know. And and I feel like that's probably uh, going to be universal aqu- across the water sector. I've been hearing that from some other people as well. So, um, okay. Thanks, Kathleen. Thanks for your time. Thanks for joining me on the podcast today. And um, I'll see you at WQA convention at start of April. Awesome. Thanks so much, Lauren. Thanks. so much for the interview, Kathleen. It was a pleasure to catch up with you, and thank you, WQA, for hosting me at the DC Fly-In this year. It was definitely interesting to hear some of Kathleen's thoughts on how some legislation may potentially be on hold until 2021 after election season. I know that's something that we've talked about here on the podcast some in months past, just feedback we've received uh, following the state of the industry, I think we talked about that a bit. Um, and also to hear her thoughts on how water professionals can petition their legislators, not just in a formal fly-in setting on Capitol Hill, but on a state setting or independently making phone calls and petitioning and other ways to be involved. So it was great to hear her insight on that and to share that with the readers. When I was at this summit, I felt like... Uh, PFAS, PFAS, PFAS was mm-hmm. on everybody's mind. And um, for me, it was kind of mind-blowing how when we sat down to these legislative meetings, uh, the aides and the legislative staff knew mm-hmm. what we were talking about. We didn't have to break it down to basics like I think mm-hmm. maybe we had to in the past, which just showed me like an extreme increase in awareness. But So I'd be just really interested to hear like how the different sectors are approaching these issues. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to my knowledge and understanding, PFAS is a very big topic still, uh, even in the municipal sector. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. I think it's it's just on everyone's mind, especially with um, with mo- like what was, what was the movie Dark Waters? Dark Waters, yeah. Yeah, with Dark Waters coming out. Yeah. It just that really increased the awareness of it too. I'm sure. Yeah. But my understanding is that. It, there most certainly is going to be movement on that. It's just a matter of when. Yeah. So, housekeeping? Housekeeping! <laughs> <laughs> that one got a little musical. <laughs> well, um, the Water Waste Digest Young Professionals will have closed nominations by the time that this yeah. is reaching your ears, but you can get a head start on next year. So... <laughs> If you know of someone in the industry who's worthy of being recognized as a young professional, um, someone that you recognize as a rising star, or you just want to make sure that they get recognition for the work that they're doing and highlight them as as a good employee, please nominate them for the WWD Young Pros. Our link for that is bit.ly slash WWD Young Pros nomination. You can fill out the form there, and it's all set. And speaking of continuing education and potentially working from home, uh, registration is open for the SWS Spring Webinar Fest, uh, which is taking place from April 28th to 30th. Uh, The speakers and their topics and bios can all be found at www.swswebinarfest.com, and you can also register at that link as well, and then watch from your home or office. 
So look out for your favorite podcast hosts at upcoming shows. Obviously, like we mentioned earlier in the episode, some shows have been canceled or delayed, so we're not completely sure of schedules at this point. But we will plan to be at AWWA ACE in Orlando in June, and we'll keep you updated on some of our other shows. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to our knowledge, only ACE and Web ACE and WebTech are the only absolute guarantees at this point for shows. That could obviously change ahead of them, but... Those are the only shows that we're very aware they say that they're still on 100%. So So if you like our podcast, please be sure to like, subscribe, share. We're on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and Spotify, and pretty much anywhere you can listen to a podcast. And you can reach us at talkingunderwater at sgcmail.com to share some thoughts with us. And follow along on Twitter at at T-U-W podcast you got it you did it at t-u-w podcast thanks so much for listening and we will talk to you next month thanks for listening and wash your hands